whether the prophets of old have been, or need to be, updated by contemporary prophecy. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What do you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg, and welcome to the year 2015. Walk the Earth, as you know, is continuing, despite the fact that we have successfully executed the mission of this particular podcast, moving from one church home to another church home, and as it turned out, switching denominations along the way. First, a little house cleaning. Walk the Earth can be found on Facebook. There's a Facebook page there. And uh, also, I can be reached on Twitter, at IC underscore Greg. Emails sent to the Hotmail account for inappropriate conversations will also reach me for Walk the Earth. The email address there is IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. You can find all of the episodes for Walk the Earth, along with all the episodes ever recorded for Inappropriate Conversations, at the website, www.inappropriateconversations.org. And for those who listen to podcasts on the go or via cell phone, Stitcher.com is a good place to get the Stitcher app. And both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations podcast can be found together there under Inappropriate Conversations. On rare occasions in the past, the one example that comes to mind is a little more than a year ago, looking at questions of gender equality and the roles of men and women in the church, there's been a some, sometimes an overlap between the topics on Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, and this may be another example of it, at least when it comes to the Walk the Earth episode I'm recording now, and the different drummer for the planned next Inappropriate Conversations show. So consider this to be somewhat of an overlap between the two. And what I want to do is I want to look at prophecy and look at prophecy from a particular perspective so that we can understand whether or not the church is depriving itself of voices that it needs to hear, or perhaps the other side of that coin is whether the church is listening to voices and giving credit to people that the church frankly shouldn't be paying any attention to. If I refer to the church universal in this sense, I might be referring to Joel and Victoria Osteen as people who seem to have bent the ear of a large number of Christians, especially in the United States, and have demonstrated, from my perspective, time after time, that perhaps we shouldn't be paying attention to them at all. Other examples would include T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer, but we'll get to that in just a moment. First, it might help in answering this question of what, what is prophecy and what role does prophecy play in the church today by starting off with some, some definitions. And there's a couple of strains of definitions that are worth calling out right from the start because I want to make sure I, I'm clear about which one I'm discussing here because there is a particular type of prophecy I don't, I don't intend to address at all. So from a definition perspective, we could be talking about a prophet as being someone who speaks from a divine perspective or from divine inspiration, someone who has been called by God to deliver a message. That can be a message delivered personally, often in terms of the very risky business of speaking truth to power, 
as we call it. Uh, maybe a, a prophet speaking to the king and telling the king he's made some serious mistakes is a good example. The other kind of prophecy would be this notion of somebody who is sort of a predictor of the future. And the synonym for that might be soothsayer as much as purely prophet. This could be paranormal, uh, falling out of the hands of palm readers or people who have a crystal ball. It also could be in the sense of, of your carnival game type thing. That is the kind of prophecy I have no intention of dealing with whatsoever. I instead want to deal with one that under the website thefreedictionary.com is defined with terms like this. A person gifted with profound moral insight and exceptional powers of expression. Or a person regarded as or claiming to be an inspired teacher or leader. Or perhaps a spokesman for a movement or a doctrine or something else along those lines. That would be a very secular way of looking at it, pulling this definition from thefreedictionary.com. Under dictionary.reference.com, you get a little bit more of a, of a religious or a theological definition of prophet. Their examples would be a person who speaks for God or a deity or by divine inspiration, or one of a band of ecstatic visionaries claiming divine inspiration and, according to popular belief, possessing magical powers. Or, referring to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, the definition reads this way, One of a class of persons in the early church, next in order after the apostles, recognized as inspired to utter special revelations and predictions. This is one of the passages that I shared in Inappropriate Conversations 150, opening the scriptures, but it was one verse out of numerous verses shared in that very long episode. So let me quote it again here. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. In the church, God has put all in place. In the first place, apostles. In the second place, prophets. And in the third place, teachers. Then those who perform miracles, followed by those who are given the power to heal or to help others or to direct them or to speak in strange tongues. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. So already, just looking at things from the dictionary perspective, we get another divide here. So if we leave aside this notion of soothsaying, and just set that aside, and talk just from the perspective of prophet being someone who speaks from divine inspiration, we get this recent example that I shared of this notion of someone who speaks for God or for a deity or by divine inspiration, uh, perhaps part of a band of ecstatic visionaries claiming divine inspiration and possessing magical powers. That idea, or related to that somewhat theologically, the notion that in the order of the early church, how the early Christian church was organized, you had apostles first, then prophets, then teachers. Contrast that with this notion of it merely being a person gifted with profound moral insight or exception, exceptional powers of expression. Well, there's a lot of people that I think have a lot of great moral insights and the ability to express those insights well. Or a person regarded uh, or claiming to be an inspired teacher or an inspired leader or the formal spokesperson for a movement or a doctrine. There's a pretty wide gap between those two ideas, even underneath this realm of prophet not necessarily being soothsayer. And I don't know that we get a good answer to the question of what's the difference between a prophet and a teacher, for example, in our modern parlance. An apostle 
at least according to the New Testament. I think we could look at apostle as being a term referring to somebody who was a church leader, a church planter. So if I ask the question, which I will here in a minute, who was Paul of Tarsus? And how do we interpret his role? I think we would just you know, take the easy way out and say, well, he was an apostle. And in some ways, it's interesting that that's the answer and that's the right answer because it places his authority and perhaps even his spiritual giftedness above prophets. So somebody who is superior in some way to merely somebody who speaks from design, divine inspiration or speaks on behalf of God or claims divine inspiration and possesses some supernatural powers. But if you said, well, let's just leave that apostle rule out for a moment. Then you ask the question, who is Paul of Tarsus? And is he a teacher or is he a prophet? And is that distinction, what do we do with that distinction between the two? I can make an argument that Paul is very clearly a teacher. But perhaps he's speaking with more authority than that. Is he, for example, calling people back to biblical principles, which is one of the things that prophets do? We think about that for a minute. Telling people what God thinks, interpreting either the Bible or the law, and telling people to repent and come back to uh, being in the right place with God. Paul does a heck of a lot of this. But you know what? So does Jonah. So does Ezekiel. So do, well... So do the prophets. If Paul can't qualify under that standard as being a prophet, then how do we explain what Jonah does? Weren't they, by and large, these prophets from the Old Testament, just calling people back to a biblical understanding? Or to go back to Paul, didn't he merely call people back to what Jesus said? Didn't he merely tell people what the life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the promised return of Christ actually meant? I don't see a huge gap between what Paul was doing for the churches in Asia Minor, for example, and what Jonah was being called to do for Nineveh. The difference, I suppose, is perhaps that Paul was first and foremost going out to plant those churches. So he was being an apostle. And as I started off saying, apostle is the right answer. But if you leave the apostolic duties out, he was in some ways getting closer to prophecy than he was to teaching. He was in effect equipping teachers and leaving them behind to do the teaching in his absence. Let's leave that there as one question, because I think it's a very important one. If I were to suggest that Paul was performing some prophetic functions, it gets us closer to understanding what the answer to this question today may not be. Because the question that I'm grappling with is whether the prophets of old have been updated in any way or need to be updated in any way or whether contemporary prophecy is out and what is the church historically said about it and as you might expect dealing with the protestant church the answer is somewhat confusing on the wikipedia article for profit focusing just on the sections related to christianity there it makes this claim under a heading modern prophetic claims in modern times the term prophet can be somewhat controversial Many Christians with Pentecostal or charismatic beliefs believe in the continuation of the gift of prophecy and the continuation of the role of the prophet as taught in Ephesians chapter 4, so Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. The content of the prophecies can vary widely. Prophecies are often spoken as quotes from God. 
They may contain quotes from scripture or statements about past or current events or predictions about the future. Prophecies can also make manifest the secrets of the hearts of other people, telling about details of their lives. Sometimes more than one person in a congregation will receive the same message in prophecy, with one giving it before the other. So there is a divide in Christianity where some groups, particularly Pentecostal and Charismatic groups, so committed as they are to the notion that the gift of speaking in tongues has not expired, therefore to them the gifts of prophecy have not expired either. But elsewhere in Christianity there is this notion that we are no longer in a period of time when those kind of revelations can be expected or can be considered normative. Therefore, you've got even within just Protestant Christianity alone, two different points of view. Again, quoting Wikipedia, Some Christians who believe in dispensationalism believe prophecy ended, along with the rest of the sign gifts, shortly after the coming of Jesus, who delivered the fullness of the law. Within this group, many Protestants believe that prophecy ended with the last of the Hebrew prophets of the Torah, or the Hebrew Bible, leaving a gap of about 400 years between then and the life of Jesus. The majority, including the Eastern Orthodox, allow an exception for John the Baptist as a prophet contemporary with Jesus. This notion of the seal of the prophets, whether that's viewed to be John the Baptist or Jesus, or in other theistic traditions, Muhammad, there's this notion of, of the period of prophecy coming to an end. And to me, that's very interesting, because it is in some ways self-serving, I would suggest, for a religious tradition to declare the end of a period of prophecy. It closes a door that was probably, more often than not, opened specifically for the purpose of changing the course of a religious group. What does it mean for a prophet or a prophecy to be updated today? What's, what would that mean? What is that all about? Well, first, do we still have any need for prophets? Has this seal of prophecy been set in place, whether by Jesus or later by Muhammad or Joseph Smith? You see, in the Latter-day Saints churches, there still is a position of prophet. I don't know for sure that they would consider that position to be the same as the role of Joseph Smith. But it's enough to say that prophet is not an expired concept there either. As I've been thinking this through, a couple of things hit me in an interesting way. First, as I've mentioned before, particularly on the Inappropriate Conversations podcast, I am very committed to the notion which Paul hammered away at consistently over and over again, that Jesus fulfilled the law, all the law. I don't find a concept anywhere in the Bible that tells us that Jesus only fulfilled some of the laws or that the Hebrew laws can be parsed out into types and Jesus fulfilled some of them and not the rest of them. No, I'm committed to the idea that the law has been fulfilled. And I'm also committed to the idea as a Protestant Christian with some evangelical leanings that the prophets in the Old Testament were primarily pointing us through their prophecy, through the type and anti-type fulfillment of those prophecies, toward Jesus of Nazareth. It just seems like there's enough that it would be far too coincidental for prophecies later fulfilled looking a lot like the life of Jesus, at least the life of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, for there not to be something to it. 
Having said that, I still find tremendous value in the Old Testament and tremendous value in the prophets. And it's one of the things that I'll talk about in the next Inappropriate Conversation show, prophets in particular. And I may, over the course of the next year, begin to name some different drummers who are more Old Testament than New Testament. My pattern has been, when naming biblical figures as inspirational, different drummer-type people, they've tended to be more New Testament than Old. But when I find those inspirational figures in the Old Testament, I think they're going to tend to be prophets, partly because I am interested in this notion of having that sort of vision. Not necessarily important to me that it be an apocalyptic vision, but even like the prophet Daniel described in the Old Testament, being able to interpret dreams or speak words of truth to people in power. Look in the, um, the book of Genesis, as a matter of fact, the role that Joseph was able to play to the Pharaoh in, the, in those very early stories in the Old Testament, where he's, again, interpreting dreams, giving instruction, providing clear warning, and Pharaoh is listening to those, at least at this stage in the relationship between the Hebrew people and the Egyptian people, listening to those, taking Joseph's words as prophecy, and changing the course of the nation as a result. That is very appealing. When I look out and say to myself, is there not a place for us to be, if not updating contemporary prophecy, restating the words of these prophets? There probably is. Because I think I can cite some examples of things that the prophets have taught where modern American Christianity has gone so far adrift of it that even if you wanted to say that you were one of these Christians who isn't sold on Paul's notion that the Old Testament laws have been fulfilled, well, you ought to at least try following them, right? Uh, the notion of how we ought to interact with strangers in our land, for example. And some of the things that we may have been taught by prophets like Ezekiel or Amos about how we should treat the people who are uh, in an exile situation or homeless or you know, for what of a better word, having fallen on tough times. I'm not seeing, again, modern American politically active Christians doing a really good job at reflecting either the values taught by Jesus or the values reflected by these prophets. And if we have come that far adrift of the Bible as a whole, not getting either the Old Testament or the New Testament right, does that not on some level call for some word of prophecy? And here's where it's get, it gets dangerous. I personally am skeptical of a lot of what we hear happening in many of the charismatic churches in the country in the area of speaking in tongues. It was probably highly unlikely that I was going to join a church where speaking in tongues was viewed as required. Anybody, for anyone to suggest that unless you are actively involved in either speaking in tongues or interpreting the speech of others who are speaking in tongues, that the Holy Spirit doesn't live within you. That kind of standard strikes me as being cult-like, and I'm quite sure I would have rejected it. And likewise, anyone who would say, well, they've got that same sense about prophecy. So just like they might say that if, if you're not speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit isn't, isn't real, isn't living inside you, and therefore we also would suggest that maybe you should be introducing new prophecy, or perhaps the Holy Spirit is not living and working inside you. I tend to reject that. What I'd be looking for instead certainly isn't an emphasis on the new. It certainly isn't an emphasis on untranslated speaking in tongues. 
it would be more along the lines of questioning whether or not the words of prophecy that we've already received do not need to be emphatically restated. Emphatically restated by someone. Again, are you being a, a teacher? Are you being an apostle? Or are you being a prophet? If you do little more than actually just restate the same principles that were shared previously by prophets. Don't revel in the misfortune of others. This was a, lo- a lesson that Jonah had to learn the hard way about Nineveh, his relationship with Nineveh, and that city's ultimate repentance. These are lessons which I think our churches need to hear again. So I think when answering the question of whether or not the prophets have been or, e- or need to be updated, the answer to that is probably no. And this is where I mentioned from the start some of these contemporary type prophets, people who in recent years, like Oral Roberts or Benny Hinn, I don't believe that we should have any, we shouldn't be putting any trust in these people at all. People like, well, the man, the man who, who predicted the end of the world and picked a date in May and then later picked a date in December, Edgar Wisenant, who in the late 1980s picked a date in September, was his date for the end of the world. It actually shocks and offends me on some level that there are so many Christians who still look to these people for any sort of guidance whatsoever when they've clearly demonstrated that they're false prophets. When Benny Hinn has said in a rally that he's going to be going and doing a uh, an outreach ministry in Africa, and while he's there in Africa, the second coming of Christ is going to happen, and that Jesus is going to appear bodily on stage with him, in a second coming paradigm, and he goes to Africa and comes back from Africa, and none of that happened, well, shouldn't that be the end of our consideration of whether or not that Benny Hinn is not just a prophet, clearly he's not, but even a teacher worth hearing? Going back to the Wikipedia uh, article again, talk about, well, what do you do with people who claim to be speaking God's word, claim to have divine inspiration, but clearly don't because they get so much wrong. Here's what the article says. Anyone who claims to speak God's words or teach in his name and is not a prophet, the Bible terms a false prophet. One test given in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy claims a warning of those who who prophesy events which do not come to pass and said they should be put to death. I don't hear any in the religious right loudly and confidently suggesting that we should be putting Benny Hinn to death. And yet those same people have a long list of social issues for which they'd like to put a lot of people to death, Christian and non-Christian alike, or what they would call so-called Christian and non-Christian alike. Back to the article. Elsewhere, a false prophet may be somebody who is purposely trying to deceive, or is delusional, or is under the influence of Satan, or is speaking from his own spirit. So there needs to be consequences for people who make these types of prophecies and get it wrong. To return and restate for just a moment, in Christianity, a prophet is someone who is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit to deliver a message for a specific purpose. This is what how the Wikipedia article actually starts its Christianity section. God's calling as a prophet is not to elevate an individual for their own glory, but for the glory of God and to turn people to him. Some Christian denominations would limit and exclude those who receive a personal message not intended for the body of believers. 
But in the Bible, on a number of occasions, prophets were called to deliver such personal messages. The reception of a message is termed revelation, and the delivery of the message is termed prophecy. There is an inappropriate conversation show previously recorded, several years ago in fact, called Revelation Weekend. It's Inappropriate Conversations 80, recorded in February of 2012. In it, I talk a, a little bit about the concept of making a joke about this notion. In fact, I talked about it even previously in Inappropriate Conversations 44, I think, Sacred Friendship. This notion of making a joke about receiving a revelation. But the interesting thing about it is that when you're talking about that sort of personal interventionist revelation... I think I'm very strongly inclined to believe that that kind of prophecy still does happen, still is necessary. And if we want to say that that ties back to the prophecies of old, maybe more like the relationship of the prophet Nathan to David, but still ties back to the prophecies of old, then I think I'm inclined to believe that prophecy is still happening. I don't know that I would call it normal, typical, every day. It's not normative to use the terminology you tend to hear uh, theologically delivered, any more than I think that I agree with the notion that's, that a Christian who doesn't speak in tongues isn't really a Christian. No, speaking in tongues is unusual thing. It's not normal. But I've been in this odd position of receiving what I consider to be, what I, what I call answered prayer. I don't call it a prophecy. I don't call it a revelation, except in somewhat joking terms. But having received answered prayer... And then delivering, as instructed, that answered prayer to the person who was in need of hearing it. The person who directly needed to hear it. I feel like I've kind of played that role before. So it would be wrong for me to say that prophesying does not exist anymore. But I also would probably think twice about placing any trust in someone who drove a car up to the White House claiming to be a figure in history like Nathan ready to give words of prophecy to, well, just to make the analogy perfect, somebody like Bill Clinton. Because Nathan was giving words of prophecy calling David to repentance for sexual sins and other sins that David had committed. So you can see kind of how that analogy might work. But I think I would, I would question it. Because that supernatural piece that we talked about, that notion of, of maybe there being something magical about it, Usually, this kind of prophecy involves what we would, could refer to as somebody knowing things they really could not know. Now, anybody who wanted to call Bill Clinton to repentance over things that he did related to Monica Lewinsky and his relationship with his wife, yeah, they wouldn't be bringing any special revelation to that. But I would even say that if you look at the history of that particular set of events as they unfolded in the late 1990s, even Linda Tripp wasn't bringing any supernatural knowledge or information to that. She was merely speaking the things that she understood based on recordings that she had made surreptitiously. No, I think every now and then the Lord intervenes or, or I would say answers prayer and says, there's something that this particular believer needs to know. And it could be as simple as, hey, your neighbor across the street's in trouble. You should do this about it. And I've been on the receiving end of that kind of if I were a non-believer, I would call it coincidence. I've been on the receiving end of those sort of prayerful coincidences more than just a handful of times. 
enough times that in my mind, I can't chalk it up to probability in any way whatsoever. I'm unwilling to even ascribe it to chance or luck because in many cases it was it was that direct. It wasn't random, I guess is the way I would word it. So if you're you know if you're somebody like yeah, one of those faith healers, you know, somebody who uh, lives more on the charlatan side of religious practice than on anything that I would consider to be genuinely faithful. Yeah, you can stack the deck. You can heal somebody of undescribed or non-diagnosed muscle pain or, or back difficulty or things of that nature. When I'm talking about this particular kind of prophecy as a sort of a prayerful intervention, I've seen it in a way that wasn't this generalized, non-specific, uh, like, like a horoscope. It's, I've seen it much more specific than that. So as I turn the corner into the new year, I begin to think about what are some of the other tough questions. Maybe not tough questions I need to ask in the process of picking a new church, but tough questions that I haven't asked myself in a long time, either because I've been distracted by the process of changing churches, or distracted by some of the things that went wrong in the church that we left, or simply distracted by the complacency of having been engaged with one congregation for so long that it was no longer necessary for me to tell this part of my story again, or ask questions related to these parts of my story again, because I kind of, I either knew what those folks thought, or I had availed myself of the opportunity to get their feedback, and it either it did happen or it didn't happen, and assuming perhaps that if it didn't happen, it was never going to. But now as I look forward into interacting with perhaps a, a new and different set of people online, that's certainly something that's new for me in the last four or five years that wasn't true before, but also with a brand new congregation, a brand new quote-unquote church on Sunday, it might make sense for me to begin something ask, asking some of these other questions Again, things which I think my previous congregation didn't necessarily need to hear about. Although, to be fair, the small group that we met with with that church, especially the Sunday school hour small group we met with that, with that church, we did have conversations, active, uh, probing, genuine, honest, difficult at times conversations about human sexuality, about the use and potentially the abuse of alcohol. Also, likewise, use and perhaps abuse of drugs or things related to patriotism and separation of church and state questions related to marriage things which i intend to begin getting back to in this year i don't think it's going to merge too much the ideas behind inappropriate conversations and walk the earth because here in walk the earth i'm going to be asking these questions from a congregational perspective, I guess is how I would look at it. Whether it's something that is or has or could be occurring inside a small group, or whether it's things related to uh, the outreach that a particular church does, or, or what I hear from the pulpit on Sunday. I'm going to revisit some of these issues again. We'll see how they come up as the year evolves. And because I put together a list, and a list somewhat prayerfully, I'm not going to be at all surprised if things unfold in the sequence that I've put them in. But, you know, for example, looking ahead on the calendar, the next time I record Walk the Earth is probably going to be between now and Valentine's Day. So I'm not going to be surprised if the next time I'm focusing on a question, the question 
is going to be related to sexuality. But on this one, at the time I was putting together the questions I wanted to look at for Walk the Earth, and I began thinking about prophets and prophecies and what do we do with the false prophets? What do we do with the, the ones who get scripture wrong or the ones who make bold predictions and get them wrong? And does that invalidate other experiences of God intervening and saying, no, I need you to do this. And when you go and do what you feel you've been called to do, you find out that you were there at the exact right moment and for a, an incredibly valid reason. And that doing, I guess, as you were told to word it that way, <clears throat> makes a huge difference. Do we invalidate that as prophecy? Do we choose to call it something different other than prophecy? Because we're so interested in making sure that Christians can claim that the seal of prophecy was settled with John the Baptist and Jesus, as if that somehow invalidates anything that comes later through Islam or through Mormonism. And likewise, guess what? Islam's also now sealed the prophets for the same reason. Is it defending a religion's turf to talk about prophecy being dead and dusted, over and done, sealed up? Or is there still some prophecy going on? And if we don't call what I'm talking about prophecy, well, then what do we call it? I'm very comfortable saying that we're talking about somebody with moral insight and great powers of expressing that moral insight, or someone claiming to be inspired as both a teacher or a leader, or someone who's speaking on behalf of a movement, or just somebody who's intervening at the right place at the right time for the right people too often for it to be coincidence. Maybe I stop short of saying this person is speaking for God or by divine inspiration. But somewhere in that class of persons in the early church, where you're dealing with apostles and then prophets and then teachers and so forth and so on, maybe it's this helper group that I'm talking about. But to me, anyone who prays gets an answer to that prayer acts upon that answer and takes a front row seat in watching the Lord himself, if nothing else through the Holy Spirit, deliver his grace into the lives of other people. Again, if we don't call that prophecy, we need a better word for it than we probably have in our vocabulary today. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. Almighty God, sometimes we're like Jonah so caught up in the politics of what it is we're feeling called to do that we sometimes lose the awe that we should be feeling at the things that you're doing and the way you're working in our lives and in the lives of others. Lord, help me to set aside the bias, the prejudice, the noise around denominational questions like, is prophecy still valid and viable today? Lord, help me to dismiss the terminology, the rhetoric, the expectations that are built around it, and simply listen to you. Lord, I started inappropriate conversations years ago, in part because I felt a calling to speak into a void that was there, a place where we were talking at each other instead of with each other, through each other more than even to each other. And questions of politics and religion were actually causing smart, sensitive, and intelligent people to put a wall there and a divide there and say, we shouldn't talk about these things together. So, Lord, I'm still living that call. 
still responding to the claim that we need to be talking about the religious implications of political decisions and the political implications of religious decisions and how these play out in the real lives of everyday ordinary people, especially when it comes to things that we might describe as the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of our culture. Lord, help me not to take that for granted, no matter what we call it. So Lord, give me lips to speak, and if it continues to be your will, give others ears to listen. But above all, give me the ears to listen and the heart to feel the things that you intend for me to feel. In your holy name I pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether the church should have a point of view about sexuality. Thanks for listening.